Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Hey guys, welcome again to RUF. Glad you're here. Uh, I am Lucas Dorado, if we haven't met. I think I've met you all now. Um, It's great to have you here. I know it's cold tonight. I know that the beginning of the semester is overwhelming and it's not exactly easy to like get out on a Wednesday night. Uh, So I'm thankful that you're here and uh, really excited about the semester ahead. I wanted to start off by just saying a word about what RUF is. RUF, uh, first of all, is a community uh, because we don't believe life is meant to be lived alone. And we acknowledge, I want to acknowledge that college can be a really lonely place. And we don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, we think that uh, life was meant to be lived together. And so we want to provide that uh, for you. And we want you to live in community with one another. And uh, we're also a distinctly Christian community, uh, which means we look to Jesus as our hope and we look to the Bible as our source of truth. And at the same time, we're a Christian community in the sense that we welcome all who would come like Jesus did. And so uh, it's our hope that some might be able to come and explore Christianity and ask questions and examine doubt and things like that. And it's our hope that Christians would also come and find this a place of rest, a place of encouragement, nourishment, challenge, and uh, growth. And also a place where you could serve, you know, a, pre- a place where you could get on board with what we're doing and uh, amplify it through your own gifts and your own individual, uh, you know, who you are. And uh, so we also, apart from Wednesday nights like this, we do small group Bible studies throughout the week that we'll be talking about later. Uh, I love to meet one-on-one with students like you uh, over coffee or lunch or over a game of racquetball or whatever the case may be, uh, because I just, and I know Jonathan feels this way too, want to be involved in knowing what's going on in your life, uh, be able to walk with you, encourage you, uh, shepherd you uh, as a pastor. And so uh, don't be weirded out if I text you and I'm like, hey, let's hang out. You're not like, that's just something you should do and make time for because it's good. Um, and, uh, yeah, a lot of other fun things going on in RUF throughout the week, weekends, trips, and things like that. So definitely uh, hang out for all of those. And, uh, but at large group each Wednesday night, we look at the Bible, and we're starting a new series in the book of Ephesians this semester that I'm calling Grace Changes Everything. And it's centered on this idea that what makes Christianity different from every other religion is Grace. Uh, this idea that there's no part of God's love that anyone could ever earn. Uh, not even one ounce of it can be earned, but it is freely given through Jesus. And that's a big idea in the book of Ephesians. And so we're going to be looking at that week to week. And if you don't know, uh, you know, you might not have read Ephesians before, which is fine. Uh, uh, Ephesians is a letter written by Paul. Some call him St. Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, It was written in prison in Rome around 62 AD. 
And if you don't know about Paul, Paul was this guy who hated Christians. He was a Jewish leader. Uh, He made it his life mission to stomp out Christianity. And then he met Jesus and was transformed. And he actually became a missionary where he went on trips through all the known world uh, starting churches. And on one of those trips, he actually went to a place called Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. And when he got there, there were like a dozen or so Christians there, and he started this church with them. And uh, eventually Paul is arrested. He's imprisoned in Rome. And so what we're reading tonight, and what we'll be reading pieces of each week this semester, is pieces of this letter he wrote to this group that he loved in Ephesus, this church that he started uh, as he uh, waits in Rome ultimately to be put to death. Um, so uh, he's writing to encourage them. He's writing to uh, remind them of God's truth. Uh, they live like Yukon. Ephesus is a place where most people don't actually believe. And uh, he's ultimately writing to answer the question, what is God doing? And so with that, I want us to read uh, this passage in the beginning of this letter. Uh, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ." as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him in heaven and things on earth. Uh, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, Let me pray for us again before we examine this text. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come to this word now, we pray that you'd guide us uh, because there's a lot here that's not that uh, simple to understand. And uh, we pray that we would not just understand it, but that we would be changed by it, uh, that you would show us your truth and your truth would set us free. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's January 22nd, so we're over three weeks into the new year. And I wonder if anyone of you made a New Year's resolution this year. Uh, You know, uh, I'm sure everyone's made some form of resolution at some point. uh, This idea where we evaluate ourselves and we say, like, I'm going to be different this year. I want you to think about that for a second for you. You know, if you were to, I know many of you may or may, I don't know if you made a resolution or not, but, you know, how do you want to be better this year or from now on? 
than you were last year. And as you think about that, I think you're probably either thinking of something specific that you really know, or you're kind of, maybe you're thinking like, whatever, resolutions are stupid, uh, which I can relate to, but it's actually kind of sad to actually approach all of life like that. Um, But in Ephesians, Paul is speaking into this reality uh, that we need to be different. Like we all know that there are things about ourselves and things about our world that just need to be different. Uh, But we often don't know how to be different. Our efforts at being different are discouraging and they've worn us out. And so Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians and it's okay, six chapters long. And the interesting thing is that he doesn't even start to talk about he doesn't give one command, one like encouragement to change until chapter four. And you know what he spends the first three chapters talking about? Grace. Uh, It's this idea uh, that, you know, before you can change, you have to know about what God has done for you. This grace that he's freely given to his people. Uh, He's talking about news that's so good that actually has the power to change us at our core so that we can be different. And later in the letter, he's going to talk about community. He's going to talk about sex. He's going to talk about marriage. He's going to talk about relationships, all these areas in life that we need to hear about. But here in the beginning, what Paul can't stop going off about is grace. This grace that's given in Jesus. And the reason we know he really can't stop going off about it is because this was originally written in Greek and it's translated into English conveniently for us. And if you were to read this, you know, when you translate another language, you have to make choices about like which word best fits and how to change punctuation and stuff. And if you were to read this in Greek, this whole section from verse 3 through 14 would be one long run-on sentence. Like, it's this just like outburst. He can't, it's like when you can't stop talking uh, because you're excited. And Paul, Paul is excited about grace. It's like he's saying, like, if you're going to get anything out of this letter, get this. This is why I'm writing And what he covers is actually four aspects of what God has accomplished uh, in his grace through Jesus. And if you're someone who wishes to be different, uh, he's saying, start here. And here's what he can't stop talking about. So there are four things in here that I want to cover briefly. Uh, Predestination, which is a hot topic. Uh, Adoption, redemption, and an inheritance. So four big ones. And the first one is a big one, uh, predestination. Uh, He says a couple times that God has predestined uh, his people. And it's kind of a confusing idea. There's a lot, even among faithful Christians, there's a lot of different viewpoints on this issue. And I don't want to get into the weeds with it tonight. But if you're interested, you know, I talked about meeting up for coffee before. And I would love to talk about predestination with you for an hour sometime if you want. Uh, but um, I understand that hearing about predestination might sound unfair. Like if, if God chooses his people, that might sound unfair to you. It might sound like the opposite of what something a loving God would do. Um, but I want to suggest to you that what you believe about predestination will be shaped by your view of yourself. Uh, if you think that God loves you because of something you bring to the table, then predestination doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, but if you, know, if you look deep within and you say, like, I know enough about what's going on in here that there's not, like, I'm not 
there's not anything that's going to differentiate me from anybody else, then predestination starts to make a little more sense. Uh, if it's God that saves, then why, does, why is it a big leap then to say that God chose ahead of time who he would save? I mean, you might be thinking, all right, Lucas, this is getting boring. I'm, you're losing me. Uh, but this is why it's exciting. Think about this. Bef- this is saying before the world existed, God said, Lucas will be mine. Not because he's lovely. He is not lovely. He's actually one of the least likely people, but I get to make him lovely. And what you need to see is that that's the most secure love that there is because it's not based on anything but love itself because you didn't do anything to earn it. Uh, God's saying, I love you because I love you. There's no greater love than that. And that's part of what makes actual relationships among people scary because no one is like that. People say instead, like, I love you because you're pretty. I love you because you're smart. I love you because you're funny. I love you because you're useful to me. And what you need to see is there's no security in a love like that. You're not going to be pretty in 80 years. I guarantee it. You know, what if you cease to be fun? What if you fail and the love goes away? And what this passage is saying is that God's love is not like that. Uh, God loves you because he loves you. And it's the greatest, that's the greatest love that there is. And I just want to ask you, do you have anything like that? Is there anything in life that's giving you that? And it actually even gets deeper than that. Because the next thing, so pre, that's predestination. And it gets even deeper because it says what he predestined us for is adoption. Uh, he, in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Think about adoption. For, maybe there's someone in here who's adopted. I don't know. Uh, adopted children are children. They're not actually like, biologically related to their parents. Uh, but they're declared to be the child of that parent. And adopted children have the same rights as natural children. They're legally declared, like, you are this person's child. And what an amazing picture of what the relationship that we have with God is. What Paul's saying is if you're a Christian, then you've been brought into the best parent-child, father-child relationship that there is, and you actually belong there. Like, it's been declared. You're not going to be sent packing if the truth about you gets exposed. Uh, I've mentioned, I think a few times, if you've been around RUF a while, you've heard me probably mention my good friend that has several, he has three adopted children now, him and his wife. Uh, they had three biological kids and they were like, that's not enough. Let's start adopting. And uh, so they adopted two children from Uganda. And recently they adopted a, a daughter from China and her name is Virginia May and she's super cute. And uh, they found out shortly after bringing home their little girl from China that she had water on her brain. And then they found out that that wasn't really the problem. Like she actually had epilepsy. She has a, a seizure disorder. And they didn't, they have a crazy enough, like they weren't seeking out a special needs child when they were like, let's adopt a sixth kid. They were just seeking out to adopt. Uh, you know, they already had, a, they have a pretty crazy life already. But then their daughter did start having seizures, and she still does. 
And at that, when they realize that, at that point, they're all in. They're just like doubling down on their love for this child. Why? Because they already adopted her. She's theirs now. And now a big part of their life is like getting her the help she needs. And she, fortunately, she gets amazing medical care in the U.S. Uh, where they live. And they, she gets to be part of this amazing family. Okay, what this is saying is that if you are a Christian, you are Virginia May. That's you. You're cherished by the Father in the same way that Jesus is cherished by the Father. And it's saying God's not going to find out something about you that's going to make him change his mind. That's going to make him stop loving you, even if it costs him ultimately, I don't know, dying on the cross for you. And what, and what you have, like... You have access to everything that Jesus has access to now. And you might be thinking, like, that's a nice thought. It's a pick-me-up thought. I'm going to take that with me. If I believe in Jesus, I can be an adopted child of God. But I want you to think about the practical difference that that actually makes. Think about that thing you want to change. The thing you've always known you needed to change. Uh, or that thing you're maybe tired of trying to change because you feel like a failure every time you fail. Uh, the reason f- change is hard for us is because we feel that pressure of like, all right, this is the last time. I'm turning a new leaf this year. This, anything less is going to be failure. And I want to suggest to you that if you approach change in that way, it's actually approaching change like a slave instead of a child. Uh, in Roman culture... There were two kinds of people in a household. There were slaves and children. And the slaves and children did a lot of the same types of things, but the difference was why they worked. Uh, if you were a slave, you worked or else. If you were a child, you did the work because you were a child. Because you had, you had a status you could not lose, and the work that you were doing was actually... Like, the, it was your, like, your family's work was your work. Okay, you will only be able to live the life God wants you to live if you know that you belong. You'll only be able to change all these things, the way you misuse relationships, the way you misuse sex, the way you misuse success and achievement and everything else if you know deep down that God considers you to be his child. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection do for us. So that's adoption. Predestination, adoption, now redemption. In verse 7, it says this. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Uh, Redemption is a word that we don't really use a ton. We mostly use it uh, when we turn in coupons today. But redemption means... Uh, deliverance by payment of a price. To be redeemed, in other words, means to be bought back. Uh, think about that. Why did we need to be bought back? Uh, if you've been around RUF a while, you know that we talk a lot about how Jesus died to pay for our sin. And we talk about how the reason he had to die is there's this cosmic cost to sin. Uh, and Jesus pays the price. And we talk about how forgiveness always costs 
something. And in our case, the penalty uh, for us turning on God is for God to let go of us. And that's why on the cross, God actually lets go of his own son, Jesus, uh, so that he can hold on to us. Rebels, sinners, uh, people that have walked away from God. Uh, Jesus pays the price by dying in our place. But there's another sense in which we need to be bought back. At the time that Paul wrote this, you know what redemption, like the word redemption was mostly used for? Uh, free, freeing slaves. It was a word used in the freeing of a slave. And what Paul's saying is that our problem isn't just how guilty we are. Well, that's a massive problem. But our problem is that when we turn away from God and we turn to anything else, something else as our reason for living, something else that we follow, whatever that is actually now owns us. If you need to be bought back, it means that we actually, you, were, you belonged to something else. And we typically turn away from God because we want to be free, right? God feels limiting, and so we want to be free, and so we turn away. But Paul's saying that if you turn away from God, something, will own, something else will own you, and it'll be worse. It'll be slavery. Think about that for a sec. What might be some signs of enslavement? What might be a sign that you're enslaved? Uh, if you find yourself doing something you, never said, you, would, you said you'd never do again. Uh, If your pursuit of grades or friends or status or comfort drive you to feel anxious and out of control much of the time. Uh, Maybe if you can't sleep anymore or if all you want to do is sleep. Uh, If you come to a point where the only thing you want to do is get wasted or numb yourself in some other way. I don't say that to judge anyone here. Those are things that I'm I'm familiar with all of those. (laughs) But if that's you, there's only one truth that can actually set you free. And it's this gospel of grace. It's that Jesus came as a redeemer to buy back those that had turned away from God and then become enslaved. And what this is saying is Jesus isn't ashamed to bring you back. He's not ashamed of you. And he comes with no demands except to come and be his. Only that can set you free. So that's the third one. Predestination, adoption, redemption, and finally, down here at the bottom, an inheritance. Uh, and this passage talks about receiving an inheritance from God in two ways. Uh, it talks about, in verse 11, it says, we have obtained an inheritance. And in verse 14, it says, until we acquire possession of it. And it's kind of like, if you read it closely, you're like, well, which is it? Uh, Have we already obtained it or will we one day acquire possession of it? What is he talking about? And what you need to see is that it's both. Uh, When I went, when I was in college long ago, long, long ago, I was a college student and I went to Wake Forest University in North Carolina and uh, Wake uh, was like UConn in some ways. One of the ways is that basketball was a big deal. Like it was like kind of the sport. Uh, but Wake is about one quarter the size of UConn. And so, like, when we had a good basketball program and, like, you would see the players a lot because the campus was small and the classes were small and that kind of thing. And I went to college with Chris Paul, who's, like, one of the biggest NBA stars yeah, there is today, even though he's been around for a long time. And when I was there, he was, like, so good. Like, he only – he was just, like, one of the best players in the country. And he – 
finished his freshman year, was really good. His sophomore year, he came back, and he was, like, so good. We were ranked number one in the country, and everyone started talking about, is Chris Paul going to – he's going to leave, right? Like, he's so good, he could easily play in the NBA. And people were like, no, nah, he's not going to leave. He loves this school too much. And, and then uh, there was – that was, like, the whole campus conversation. And then one day, everyone knew he was going to leave because he rolled into campus with a 7 Series BMW. <laughs> And the thing is, he didn't have the money. Like, he had not yet signed a contract with an NBA team. So why did he buy the BMW? Because the money was as good as his. Right? Uh, if, we know how, if we know the end of our story now, we'll begin to approach all of life differently. Like, as if it's already happened. Uh, what it means to have obtained an inheritance in Christ is that the end of our story will actually be the beginning of a new story in which all the goodness of God becomes ours. Everything everything bad in the world goes away. And the assurance comes as God reminds us again and again, this happened. Jesus did actually die. He did rise from the dead. It happened in history. There are witnesses. And what Paul's saying here is that for those who hope in Christ, if that's your hope, uh, there can even be a joy in the midst of sadness. Because in the end, all that belongs to God will belong to you. All of his comfort is yours. All of his peace is yours. All of his riches are yours. And you can live in that reality today. Uh, If you're not a Christian, first of all, really glad you're here. You are welcome. Please come. Uh, But I want to ask you, if you're not a Christian, does a love like that sound good to you? If it does, you need to know it's free. The only qualification you need is just to need it and to accept it. Uh, If you are a Christian, I want to invite you to stop living like you're on the verge of losing God's love. What happens a lot of times uh, with Christians is that we mess up really badly. Or we head down a path that we, we know it's not what God wants for us, but we head down that path anyway, and then we feel guilty about it because I'm a Christian. I should know better. And our solution is to kind of punish ourselves by moving away from God. You know, God probably doesn't want to hear from me for a while. Or trying to dig ourselves out of the hole we're stuck in before we come back to him, which doesn't ever work. We think, you know, God must not want anything to do with us yet. And the message of this passage is that God doesn't relate to his people that way at all. God's relationship with us is rooted in grace, this unmerited favor, this Unmerited means you don't deserve it. Uh, You actually merited the opposite of it. And yet he still pursues us in love to make us holy. Uh, It's all about grace. Uh, I talked about translating this before out of Greek. And if you were to read verse 6 in in Greek, what it actually says is that he's graced us with his grace. Uh, Later on he says he lavished us. Uh, grace upon us. Uh, it's, it's like he's saying, grace, grace, grace. Don't forget about grace. God wants you near him, and he himself will see to it that you change. But it won't happen if you 
live like a slave instead of a child. Now, how do we know this is all true? Why, why would we trust this? Uh, the reason this is true, the reason we can trust it, is because Paul is writing it. Do you know about Paul? Uh, you can read about Paul in, like, Acts, in the book of Acts in the Bible, chapter 7, chapter 8. And what we see in those chapters is someone named, he was called Saul then. He changed his name to Paul. Uh, let's see. Stoning a Christian to death. Names Stephen is stoned in chapter 7. And it says Saul's there being like, good. It says that he dragged Christians off to prison. Like, what kind of an awful person does that stuff? Stoning someone because they're a Christian. I don't know how bad you think you are, but like Paul is at least as bad as you. But then he met Jesus. He experienced Jesus in his grace and he was redeemed and his life was changed and he can't stop talking about it now. He can't stop talking about how amazing Jesus is and how much these Christians in Ephesus need to hear about Jesus and his grace. Uh, And that's what we want RUF to be. Uh, A place where people hear about grace, where they hear about how great God is and want to come. A place where guilty sinners like us can come together and actually find life as we live in light of God's grace. So let me close us by praying uh, that God would work that in our group. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, you know that we are uh, uh, quick to imagine that you're mean or uh, that you don't uh, want anything to do with us. And, because, and it's because we are guilty before you and uh, we know the ways we fall short and you know all the ways that we don't even see Uh, yet we pray that uh, you would give us an experience of grace this semester uh, that you would transform us by your grace and make us people uh, like Paul uh, who can't uh, stop proclaiming it and that learn to love uh, as a result Uh, guide us this semester we pray in Christ's name amen Okay, well,